set aside the proximity of the cities and the rivalry of the past, and this is all about getting ready for the weekend. Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram Motor Trends, back-to-back winner of Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer with Sportsnet. Joining me on the other line, as always, an NHL editor who saw actual NHL hockey yesterday, Rory Boylan. We're back, baby. Man, that was like a breath of fresh air, like coming up out of a deep dive and taking a nice breathe in. It felt normal. It looked strange, (laughs) but there was some normalcy there. It felt really good to have hockey back on, even though it was exhibition. It wasn't, you know, playoff intensity or anything like that. A little taste of it in the Battle of Alberta, but it was just nice to have it back, wasn't it? Yeah, though I I have to say it looked and sounded a little less weird than I thought it was going to. And one of the early epiphanies I had was playoff hockey isn't about perfection or compelling hockey isn't about perfection. It's about urgency. And you could already see a little bit of it because I think, you know, number one, everyone's excited to be back. And number two, teams know this is the one game they're going to get as a tune-up. But it just gave me a little bit of a taste of the fact that as long as teams are going like hell, it's probably going to seem and feel like playoff hockey. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I mean, these guys have been off the ice for longer than an off season. And, and some guys you saw play in that first game, Jake Gensel comes to mind, you know, off, Ely Mikheyev off longer than that because half a year, of injury. More than half a year, yeah. Yeah, Eight so months, it's, it's, you know, it's important for all these guys to kind of get their feet back into them and, and find some level of intensity. But for those players, even more so, um, because it's been extra long for them. And, and, you know, lo and behold, both of them, Gensel and Mikheyev, figured in very early and looked pretty strong. Could be big X factors for those teams in their uh, qualifying round uh, playing series. So, Rory, we previewed the Western Conference preliminary series, Stanley Cup qualifiers. I guess the this whole um, the the best of five series and the round robin are kind of coming the uh, under the umbrella of Stanley Cup qualifiers. I've yeah. still been calling this the preliminary round, these best sure. of five series. So, we looked at the four in the Western Conference last week. Today, we are going to break down the Eastern Conference. We're going to start with the 5-seed and 12 matchup, then the 6-11, and then the back half we'll do 7-10 and 8-9. So those matchups are, of course, Montreal-Pittsburgh in the 5-12, Carolina-Rangers in the 6-11, your Florida Panthers and the New York Islanders in the 7-10, and the Toronto Maple Leafs and Columbus Blue Jackets. That's the 8-9 matchup. So let's start with Montreal and Pittsburgh, both those teams played on Tuesday. I think every single person in our uh, sports net predictions piece picked the Penguins to win this series. I mean, even with the caveat that anything can happen, a healthy Pittsburgh Penguins team, a team that, you know, should have been up in that top four and, and should be playing in the round robin, except it skidded a little bit toward the end of uh, the season before the hiatus. But here they are. They've got to win this best of five series. They probably should do it. Um, but I think there's some belief that Canadians can give them a good fight. Some, but you know, there wasn't a lot of inspiration that you could draw from that exhibition game. And you know, you're not gonna 
look into those and say, oh, well, they're doomed because they had this one bad preseason game. But Montreal just, I didn't think, looked ready. Um, I thought it was really disturbing that they allowed two shorthanded goals against. I mean, the power play has been a real sore spot for the most of the season. And from January 1st into the pause, they were a league worst 10%. Um, they're not going to find it easy to get goals against the Pittsburgh Penguins at five on fives. So you've got to be able to manufacture on that, on that power play. And if it's going to be that much of a liability, I mean, this series is over before it begins that there's no advantage for Montreal anywhere except maybe a net. And, and to that end, the one plus is the thing they needed to go right for them against Toronto was Carey Price looked pretty good. I mean, they lost and allow, allowed four goals, but I don't really think you're putting any of that on him. I thought he looked fine. I thought, um, you know, he didn't look like he was too rusty or anything like that. There's a lot of things that need to go just right, I think, for Montreal to not only win, but compete in this series against Pittsburgh. Um, but it's not going to matter if Carey Price isn't on top of his game. He's going to have to basically steal a couple of games, if not all three of them, if they're going to pull off an upset. I just think Montreal is... It's not that they're not deep. They're just not deep with quality enough to match up against what they're going to see. Like what Your best line, I, I think, is the line that's centered by Philip Deneau. And I, I kind of think he should have been a Selkie finalist this year which means that type of player is going to see a lot of Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, and that's going to neutralize his offense and his wingers. Um, and then, so if he's tied up with those guys, do they have a line that is ready to step up and produce at five on five or in any situation really? And I, I just don't see what part of that lineup outside of the net minding that you could point to and say, yeah, maybe they would have an advantage here. I, I, I just don't see a path for Montreal unless Carey Price, you know, <laughs> does a Yaroslav Halak from many, many years ago against the Washington Capitals and just just is outstanding for three games. Well, Halak did it to the Penguins as well that year. That's so true, right? I forgot about precedent. that, right? Yeah. So speaking of goalies, the Penguins did split Murray and Jari in their exhibition loss to the Flyers. You have to believe Mike Sullivan will defer to the experienced guy, Matt Murray, when push comes to shove. Like, is that your game one guy? I think so. And I think it's, you kind of read between the lines. You, you see what the coach and the GM have been saying about the goalies leading up to this. And in a piece with The Athletic last week, um, Jim Rutherford said, you know, it's the coach's decision who starts. But if it was up to me, I think Murray would be the guy. And he went on to talk about a practice last week where he thought Murray was back to his form from two and three years ago. He looked solid. He was, um, you know, playing the fundamentals all right, hitting all the right notes. Um, and then he comes in and, and he was the guy they gave the start to, whether or not they split them. I mean, Murray was the guy in for puck drop. And I think that is maybe the coach tipping his hand a little bit. And, you know, the only way that I would come out of that game and say maybe there's a controversy here or maybe it's Jari who's going to get that game one start is if Murray played poorly. And, and he didn't play his way out of a start. He allowed a couple of goals. Again, I think they were uh, defensive lapses in front of him. The, one of them was a, just a horrible Evgeny Malkin pass to no one across the crease, which Kevin Hayes uh, uh, intercepted and deked out Murray. I mean, it, those were defensive lapses. They weren't on Murray. So he didn't play his way out of that start because of what's been said and because of how they deployed those guys in that exhibition game. 
I would expect Murray to be the game one starter. The question though is how long is that leash? Like, does he get the game one start no matter what? And then if you lose, you reassess or if he has a bad first period where he lets in two or three goals, do you immediately go to Jari? Like how much does it take before you, you go to that backup? Because again, we talked about this last week. These aren't best of seven series. They're best of five. So you got a lot less runway to work with. And the last best of seven Pittsburgh played, it's almost easy to forget. They were swept by the New York Islanders. So, I mean, I guess they carry a little bit of uh, baggage from their immediate past into this. When you look at the Penguins, I mean, I, we're both picking them to beat Montreal. When you look at their long-term prospects, is there something you worry about in terms of one area of the team you think, I don't know if critically flawed is too strong a term, but is there an area you look at and think this might prevent them from going as far as they want to go? Or do you think this team has as good a chance as any to, to get through to the final? I really think they have as good a chance as any team. I mean, the, the question is, and it goes with any team, but, but Pittsburgh has dealt with a lot of injuries this year. And if you have to go through any of that right now, my one question about them is, if, do they have the required depth that would be able to come in and play the key roles? Not, not to beat Montreal, but to beat the better teams that they're going to have to face down the line. Um, you know, certainly Latang has had, has had issues. I mean, John Marino has stepped up and been a really good defender for them. Um, so he could take on more minutes, but anytime Latang goes down, um, that puts a lot of pressure there. Of course, Malkin Crosby, those guys, Gensel is back. Um, anybody like that, that goes down is going to put a lot of pressure on depth that I'm not really sure that they have. So that's where the concern would go. But I think the Penguins are just this team that, you can't really see where they finished in the regular season fifth this year in the East and say, yeah, maybe they're kind of on that fringe of being a real contender because they're so experienced with such great leaders. Like they know when to turn it on and kind of when to take their foot off the gas a little bit. Like they're probably not going to run away with the president's trophy. They don't need to go all out for 82 games. And they understand that their leaders understand really what it takes to get through four and now five rounds of, of playoff hockey. So I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and I see like a middle of the pack power play in the regular season that wouldn't at all surprise me if they light the league on fire in, in the playoffs. You know, Malkin at times looked okay yesterday, but for the most part, that giveaway being the biggest whiff of the game, I, I thought he looked a little sluggish, but I don't think that's anything to read into. I think that's an exhibition game, and I would fully expect Malkin to turn it on once the puck drops on game one. So, you know, I, I think they're as well-suited as anybody else, as long as the, one of those goalies um, is able to take it and run with it. Um, I, I would pick them over a lot of teams. Um, you know, when we had to pick our, our Stanley Cup um, champion for the site, they were one of the teams that I was weighing and, and thinking long and hard about because there's a lot of time that they've had to rest and prepare. And I think that's going to benefit um, the, the veteran teams like the Penguins. Don't give away your pick yet. We'll be saving that for yeah. a future podcast. Okay. So safe to say you've got Penguins in three or four for this series. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with four. I think Price can steal at least one game. I think he's got that in him. So I, I don't know about the sweep, but I'll, I'll go with four. It's going to be a quick series. All right. I think I had four as well. Let's turn our attention to the Hurricanes and the Rangers. The Rangers, of course, having a surprisingly good year and really jumping up and pushing for a playoff spot toward the end of 
the season. And Carolina, speaking of things that is kind of easy to forget, this was a Final Four team last year where it made the East Final and lost in four straight to the Bruins. Also, it seems like a lifetime ago, but they really won the trade deadline. Vincent Trocek, Brady Shea, Sammy Vatanen, that's going to help make up for, on the blue line, the fact that there are some question marks there. Brett Pesci out. Dougie Hamilton doesn't look like he's going to play as we record this on Wednesday in the preseason game. I think they're hoping that he's going to be ready to go for the series itself, but I think by his own admission, not really at 100% after uh, breaking his leg in either, I think, early February. He was having an amazing year. But man, I look at those the top three lines for Carolina now with Ajo centering one, Trocheck, and then Jordan Stahl on a third line. And man, there is suddenly, that top nine is looking really tough. Yeah, I mean, for years, the thing with Carolina, right, was that they were a good team by analytics, by Corsi and shot differential. They were always at or near the top of the league, but they couldn't score goals. It didn't translate into getting on the score sheet, and, and that was always a problem for them. But now, you know, some of these young guys, Aho, I mean, Andrei Svechnikov had a huge year for them this year too. Like, these guys are now starting to hit that next gear where they're they are the offensive leaders that the hurricanes didn't have before and so that's something this team has never had in its arsenal that suddenly they do and i think the biggest question is going to be their goaltending um you still feel really solid about that blue line even if hamilton misses some time like you said they made some additions like there there is a lot to choose from there you know their seventh and eighth defensemen are going to be pretty good so if some someone has to sit out you're probably going to be okay. It's very similar to the Calgary Flames, I think, in that way. But now you have this goal scoring that you didn't uh, have before, and that's going to be a huge difference maker as long as the goaltending is fine. Carolina is sneaky, sneaky good on the offensive side of the puck, and they're only going to get better there. So what do you make of the Rangers? They are, you know, a, a go-for team with uh, an offense driven by Hart Trophy candidate Artemi Panarin and also Mika Zibanejad, the goals per game leader this year in the NHL. They're uh, a little loose on the back end, but if Igor Shesterkin is what he appeared to be in 12 games, I mean, number one, it, it sure seems like this is his time. The reins are being passed, even though it's such a small sample size, but it's going to be him in the Rangers crease. Um, you know, they get to be a wild card if all of a sudden he's playing the way uh, his predecessor, Henrik Lundqvist, did for so many years for this team. Yeah, he's the ultimate X factor there. Like, what is he? Um, and if he falters, they'll go right back to Henrik Lundqvist, I think. And, you know, regardless of the season he had, I think you're going to feel pretty okay if Henrik Lundqvist is your plan B, even at this stage of his career. You know, I've, I've been chipping away at this article for Sportsnet.ca. I think I'm going to release on Friday about bold predictions for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I've wanted to pick the Rangers as this year's Cinderella team. This year's Carolina, basically. That like goes win, on go to the Final Four or something. Something like that. Something beyond simply winning a round. Like going a couple. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of people start to jump on this bandwagon. I'm wondering how bold that actually is. <laughs> um, like for all we talk about um, Carolina being good offense, I mean, the Rangers exploded there this year. Panarin yeah. totally changed that team. Um, Mika's advantage ad has exploded and I think he's there to stay. I think he's a, a star scorer now and that's just how it's going to be. Um, you wonder, 
you know, what kind of an impact can someone like Capo Caco have? A second overall draft pick last year didn't have the best season, but again, he got some legs under him. He's not a small guy. Um, with some coaching pre preparation, can he come back and be a little bit more improved? You had an off season basically, so more or less, it's almost kind of like year two for him at this point, right? Um, so you could be surprised by by some of that, and a lot of offense on the back end too. Adam Fox and and Tony D'Angelo. I mean, they can generate a lot there. I think they're just going to be a, a matchup uh, nightmare potentially for Carolina, who could potentially neutralize them with a really good blue line again. That's going to be the ultimate chess match here is, is how how does the Rangers offense really go at uh, the Carolina blue line? What is the where, where is the needle turn there? Like, what, what's the better option? Um, I, I have a feeling it's the Rangers. I, I just have a good feeling that they don't have any pressure right like they're here they had no chance to be in the playoffs before um it's all gravy for them and everything just seems to be falling into place like they got out of this rebuild very very quickly and it doesn't look like they're going to be falling back anytime soon i think they're going to take a big jump up next season and they might be ready to put a dent in that this year so i i think i'm going to be picking new york in this in this series but not only that without really knowing who they would play next in the mm -hmm. in round one it's hard to really say but they just seem to have everything coming together. And if Shesterkin really is what he looked like, I mean, again, that's the, that's the ultimate wild card and could be the key to unlocking a, a long, surprising Cinderella run. Well, this is the sixth series we've talked about dating back to last week, and we finally disagree because I'm going with Carolina. I, I don't want to say I think they're upset proof, and certainly with Reimer and Mrazek, there is some level of uncertainty, but I just feel like they're one of those teams that you know what you're going to get. And... I, I hear what you're saying with the Rangers and, and if they had a little bit of a better draw, I would like their chances, but I just think Carolina is, they're just sturdy now, you know, they're just one of those sturdy teams that I think if it gets the goaltending, it should be fine. So I'm going to pick Carolina in four, but I agree with you that, like I said, I mean, Artemi Panarin obviously had, I mean, look at who he's playing with versus who the other top scorers are playing with on their lines. I mean, it's just amazing how he, he drove that line and um, you know, they are, they are a wild card. And if just Durkin stands on his head, then um, it, it's going to get crazy, but I don't know. Something about Carolina just makes me feel comfortable picking them. Yeah. For me, and this is the same problem I had with Carolina last year. I just find it really hard to trust Peter Morazic. Yeah. And now sure. James Reimer. And that's that's ultimately where I land. I, that burned me last year, obviously. They went a few rounds. But to bet on that as happening a second time is something I would struggle with. Here I am picking a team that's got a rookie netminder playing for them with just a handful of games. But I actually feel better about Shostyrkin being able to hold the fort than I do about Morazic and Reimer. So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe we'll see David Ayers again. Who knows? <laughs> is he in the Roy bubble? Yeah. <laughs> The playoffs are back, and included with that, of course, is good old fantasy talk. Time for some Ram fantasy pool talk. For people who don't know, you can win all kinds of awesome prizes. Go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram, 50K in cash, a new truck, and best of all, you can pick a new roster after the preliminary round, before round one, before the preliminary round, obviously, before round two, and even up to before the conference final. So if you get down early, don't sweat it. Uh, like any good team, you've always got a chance to claw your way back in. If I was to ask you one guy 
who you might circle as someone who could tip the balance for somebody in a, a fantasy pool, who would you have in mind? Well, with this Sportsnet pool in mind, and it goes for any pool, but talking about ours specifically, you have a cap of 30 stars and each, each player has assigned one to four and the, the better players are higher, obviously. So you're needing to find those value guys who are just one or two stars that you think are going to come through. And so for me, that guy is Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, he's a two-star player on the Sportsnet pool. On an outside pool, you know, you're not going to have to spend a high pick on him. You're going to be going, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl and maybe Nugent Hopkins on the Oilers before you would think about going with Yamamoto. But, I mean, he was cooking before the pause. He was a point-of-game player. He's got a really nice seed on that second line with Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl. Um, and he's just still flying under the radar a little bit. Scored a goal in the exhibition game on Tuesday night. Um, I think that he's just going to pick up from where he, he left off. And again, he's just surrounded and supported by excellent players. He's going to be a value pick. So I think he's going to be a big difference maker for some teams. Who you got? You know, what, you know what I'm doing? I'm defaulting to some very basic logic. Pick a guy who's playing with Sidney Crosby. Connor Sheary repatriated from Buffalo at the trade deadline, scored in the exhibition game and uh, skating on that line with Crosby and Jake Gensel. Um, again, could be a value pick. And as discussed earlier here, it could be a team that goes uh, pretty deep if you're in you know, in that kind of pool where you're just picking them and, and letting it ride. So yeah, I wonder if Shiri in his second round with the Penguins can uh, recapture some of the uh, the good times he's had there before. That reminded me that he got traded back there when he. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the trade deadline six months ago. Okay, you won't have to wait long at all to hear us talk about the other two Eastern Conference series. That is the Toronto Maple Leafs, Columbus Blue Jackets, and the Florida Panthers and New York Islanders. We'll break down both of those series coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. All right, Rory, time to talk about those South Florida Cats. Disappointing year for the Florida Panthers. Thought they'd be in the real playoffs, and they certainly were not. Uh, I mean, they had a chance, but it wasn't trending that way for the Panthers. When play halted in March, they will face off against a New York Islanders team that, you know, this was year two without Tavares, and, uh, you know, they shocked people by making it last year and as i mentioned sweeping the pittsburgh penguins in round one they had their nose in it again and and were a good bet to to find a way to squeeze in i mean this is uh, a story of opposites very this that's the theme of of the back half of this podcast is we have a florida team that gives up a ton of goals but does have good offensive potential very much like the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then on the flip side of the coin, you have a, a pretty stingy Islanders team, certainly in terms of high danger chances. I mean, you know, you're playing Barry Trotz's squad. They don't give you much similar to the Columbus team that uh, is probably going to be very tight against the Leafs. But of course, neither the Islanders nor Blue Jackets fill the net. So with respect to 
the Panthers and Islanders. How do you see this shaking out with these teams who kind of go at things two different ways? Yeah, I wrote the preview for this on sportsnet.ca and I got to say like this is a tough one to kind of project because the Islanders won on their team defense and structure last year, but they're not quite the same. Mm. They're not as strong. They actually give up a lot of shots now, not from super dangerous areas, but they do give up a lot of shots. Yeah. And you know, that's part of the plan. Keep the shots to the outside and they're less of a hassle on the goal. Their goaltender numbers are good. So it reflects that, but they're not, they're not exactly the same as last year. They're not coming in on the same high, um, in their last, I think it's 20 games or so before the break, they were below 500. But their defense was trending better. They were, um, from January 1st on, one of 11 teams that averaged allowing less than 30 shots a game. It's just you don't know what to make of that stuff for any of these. Like They're just picking up uh, fresh here. Um, Florida, their strength is, and their only strength really, being able to score goals. So it's just a matter of can they find those high-danger chances? Can they put enough pressure on this New York Islanders defense? And I keep coming back to... You know, bet against a Barry Trotz coach team at your own peril, especially mm-hmm. when he's had this much time to prepare for one opponent. But then at the other side, you got Joel Quenville, who's also an excellent coach. So maybe there's, you know, maybe that's not such an advantage for either team. My major concern for the Panthers is their team defense. I have some optimism that Sergei Bobrovsky can find some level of not Vesna form, but something that got him a $10 million contract. Well, he did it last year. And part of what got it for him was after a very flat regular season with Columbus, he was very good in the playoffs. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. If Sergio Obrovsky came in and was awesome again, right? Like that's why they gave him the money and that that's kind of who he is. Didn't look all that spectacular in the exhibition game. Florida just lost five, nothing to the Tampa Bay lightning who, Certainly are no New York Islanders, but they didn't have Stamkos or Hedman in that game either. Um, but I thought Bobrovsky wasn't 100% in that game, but more, again, more alarming was the team defense. I mean, they were just melting in front of him. A lot of high-quality chances. Most of the goals were coming like right on top of the crease for the Lightning in that game. And that's Florida's biggest problem is, is the blue line is not really up to snuff. Um, but that doesn't automatically give the Islanders some massive advantage because they can't score. Yeah. When these two teams played against each other in 2016, it was a really good series, six games. Game six was won in overtime by the Islanders. But New York hadn't John Tavares in that series. And he is really single-handedly who pulled the Islanders through that series. He scored that overtime goal, put up a pile of points. And I just wonder, do the Islanders have that kind of player this time because I think they're going to need it to get past the, the, the Panthers and sure maybe maybe it's Matt Barzell he's not going to score a lot of goals but he's going to create a lot of chances for his line mates maybe it's a Brock Nelson maybe it's an Anders Lee or a Jordan Eber they, they have guys who can do it but I don't think any of them are like obviously going to come through for them they're a little up and down they, they can be so I think the key for New York is finding those one or two players who are going to be able to lift this offense to a level they haven't really achieved yet this year against a terrible Florida defense. Um, On the other side, I don't know if if Florida has that defenseman capable or two defensemen capable of lifting the defense. They have the same personnel. They have the same problems. I think it's going to be the same Florida defense we've seen all year. 
whereas the New York Islanders offense could hypothetically find three or four games of being better because they do have players you could point to and say, there's a path for this guy to have a good series. Well, one of those guys would be Barzell. You mentioned him. This is an interesting time for him. Year two in the league. I mean, we're talking about him, you know, who knows because the landscape has changed so much, but he's going to be signing some kind of, uh, new contract soon this is uh this is a real test for a young player who is really dazzled but the stakes are really high now and uh this is a real chance for him to prove himself yeah and this is something i think interesting to watch across all series and and when you're picking your your playoff pool by the way keep this in mind guys who are playing for money motivation as well like everybody's playing for the stanley cup and everybody wants to win that and and that brings out a lot of motivation but if you've got a contract to sign especially in the cap world that we now live where it's going to stay flat. Um, there's a little extra motivation to try and cap what you can earn. And Barzell is going to be an RFA uh, this off season. So, you know, there's limited leverage that he's got there, but if he comes through and has a great playoff for the Islanders, that's just going to bolster the fact that he should be getting a, a huge payday uh, from that team, which is, it's going to be interesting in itself because the Islanders have already spent a lot of their money on some of their older players and, and they're going to be pinched a little bit um, after having to pay Barzell. But, but again, like he's got that extra motivation, which is why he's the guy I would point to and say, if I'm going to pick one of them to have a really good series, it's him because he's got that extra factor uh, behind him to earn a next contract still. Yeah. Coming off his third season, of course. Um are your head and heart aligned on this or is, uh, are you at war with yourself? (laughs) What's your, what's your sense for who to pick here? You know, I picked Florida. I don't feel great about it. I wouldn't advise non Panthers fans to pick them in your pool. Um, it's just defense wins in the playoffs more often than not. Right. And the goaltending in New York has been fine. It's been good enough. Mm -hmm. And I just, I discounted the New York Islanders last year against the Penguins, as I think a lot of people did, because the Penguins just had the more skill. They had the higher offensive upside. And so it's similar-ish kind of this this year. And again, the Islanders aren't where they were last year, but I just think when it gets this close, I usually would go towards the defensive team, which is why I don't feel great about my pick. But I just come back to the fact that, man, I, I think, and maybe this is foolish of me, but I think Bobrovsky has something in him. Like, he has just been terrible this year. And I can't imagine he's going to go wire to wire like that. I, I have to believe he's going to find some level of goaltending that is going to be good enough that Florida can win a game 4-3, 5-4, which isn't even a great game for him, but it's going to be good enough. Like, he's got he's to gotta be able to win that kind of game One for the save better, yeah. Absolutely. And so I think that's the key advantage that Florida has. It's just a matter of if he comes through for them enough or not. Well, I think in any playoff, you have to apply the logic once in a while of who the hell knows what's going to happen and certainly more in this one than ever. So that's why I picked Florida in three. I was just like, all right, this is going to be be the series where we're just like, boom, what what happened? Head spinning. Florida just came out and won it. Um, I mean, like you said, obviously Bobrovsky is a bit of an X factor. I mean, Huberto and Barkov are just such monsters out there. You could see them taking over uh, a, a handful of games. So I will pick the Panthers in three, but per your advice, I will not feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it never feels good picking them around now. All right. Last 
Eastern Conference series of the preliminary round, the one that will draw the most attention as it involves the Toronto Maple Leafs, the team that has not been able to win a round in the past three years, 0 for 3 in the Austin Matthews era, losing to Washington and, of course, the Boston Bruins in a couple game sevens. A little bit better draw, maybe a lot better draw than they've had in, uh, in those years in the Columbus Blue Jackets, a very feisty team written off for dead before the season by a lot of people based on departures of Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin and Matt Duchesne. But you knew they were going to bring a little something, especially under John Tortorella. Great defense. Seth Jones was out with an injury. He's back. Zach Wierenski, great offensive season. Like I said, when we were talking about the Islanders and um, in the Panthers, though, it's it's just a contrast in style in that Columbus really struggles to put up goals. And that's the one thing, you know, the Leafs can pull out of thin air. They have so much talent. Can Toronto bolt it down enough on the back end? Or will they even need to? Because how much will the likes of Pierre-Luc Dubois and Alex Wenberg be able to really push them? How do you see this series shaken down? I think if you're going to compare a series to the, from this year to last year, this one most closely compares to that Islanders Penguins series um, because Columbus is just, they're better than the sum of their parts. Yeah. They Tortorello just rallies them. They're hard to play against. They, you don't get a lot of high quality chances. I think they were fourth best in, in terms of high danger chances against Toronto's the exact opposite. They're all offense, not a lot of defense. Um, Columbus is a team that in the offensive zone likes to cycle the puck and grind you and wear you down. And Toronto in the defensive end is not good at stopping that kind of stuff. Toronto is a good transition team, but Columbus is a pretty good defensive team in that way too. So it's, again, this is just going to be really, really interesting to see what play style wins out. I think Toronto has the advantage in net for sure, as long as, again, Anderson is is who he should be. But it's so hard to figure out what he's going to be because traditionally, at the start of seasons in October, Frederick Anderson is not very good. He gets mm-hmm. off to very slow starts. And if we're coming back after four and a half months off, you know, are we getting October Anderson or are we going to get mid-season Anderson? It, it's really hard to say. Um, in, in training camp, it was noted that he had some bad games in there, but I thought he looked pretty good in the exhibition game against Montreal. Nothing was out of place or anything like that. Um, and it's not like Columbus is going to put a ton of pressure on him. It's, it's going to be the other way. Um, Columbus is going to have to stop Toronto's defense and win some low scoring games. Um, and they have questions in net too. Like they had a couple of their guys come on, but I, I think they're, early enough in their careers, we don't really know what they are. Like no. goaltending, you need to find some consistency, right? So yeah, if you do it for a flash, then you can debate on whether or not you buy that. You don't really know that you can count on those guys until they do it for a sustained period. And neither of them have Merzlikens or Corpusallo. Um, so there's a little mystery there. This It's just going to be fascinating to see, you know, after four and a half months, does defense still... Uh, bring you an advantage in playoff hockey or is it going to be so loose that the offense is going to thrive and and again how how does ice condition uh factor in here or will it at all like does the ice get more bumpy and i would have to think that that plays to columbus's favor um or do they figure that out and it's not really as much of an issue as as we think it might be so 
there's just so many open-ended questions in this series. I, I can't wait to see how they're going to play that out. Do you think there's an inherent cap on how far the Leafs can go with their defense core? Or do you see it not so much as a defense core issue with them as a whole, you know, overall team not quite as committed to the D or just not quite as capable uh, and hard on the puck as as they should be? Yeah, I think it's the team defense thing. Yeah. I mean, we've seen teams win a Stanley Cup with not amazing defenses. Um, Pittsburgh did it one year without Chris Letang. Um, Washington's defense was pretty good when they won it, but it's not like you looked at it and said, oh my yeah. God, they're loaded one to six. St. Louis's was different. They were pretty deep. So you can do it either way. Uh, I don't think it's the blue line that puts a cap on Toronto. I don't think Toronto has a cap on where they could go. I mean, they could win the Stanley Cup. They have pieces that would get you there. Anderson is a consistent goalie. They have a lot of different kinds of lines. You can score up front. You can play with some strength. You know, one of the questions is, do they start game one with 18-year-old Nick Robertson on the third line who has, you know, a high upside offense, but, man, he's got a low floor, too, on, on, on the sure. defensive side. So do you, do you want that on your third line for this Maple Leafs team? Or do you want something a little bit more conservative, like a Freddie Gauthier or Pierre Engvall? Which against Columbus, you would almost think you skew size, right? Given I, I the, would think so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would go that way. But is that, is is that, that the how Toronto feels? Is way? Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. They, they seem to buck trends a lot and, and do the opposite of what a lot of us think maybe they should do. And maybe it's, you know, whatever they do in game one, starting Robertson or not, I don't expect that to be something that necessarily sticks for the long term. Like if sure. Robertson plays game one and he doesn't show very well, I think he's out of the lineup in game two and, and vice versa. Um, it's That's going to be something interesting to watch, but that's that lineup decision isn't going to be what defines this playoff run. You're, you're going to need a big playoff from Austin Matthews, obviously. I think we're seeing a healthy John Tavares for the first time this year. I mean, he's dealt with multiple injuries. Yeah, right off and the top. Yeah, and if, so if you get John Tavares back and, and he's, like he looks, 100%, that's a player you haven't had all year. Um, that second line with Tavares, Marner, and Mikheyev was together last night for the first time since December 27th, and they looked fantastic. I mean, that's a really, really strong line. That's a first line for so many teams in this league. And then the third line was the line that scored two goals for them against the Montreal Canadiens and is a bit of an X factor there for them. So I think they have the depth that's required. I think it is the team defense that is the big question here because you don't want to have to put too much on Freddie Anderson's shoulders. That's less of a concern against Columbus than it is if you move on and play the bigger teams later on. Before I ask for your prediction, if Toronto goes out with a whimper here, if it's just an ugly you know, three games and gone, I mean, I don't know what the team could really do anyways but my question is and i guess this applies to a few teams but because things are in such flux this year is it easy to kind of write off one more time and say you know there's not a critical flaw or there's not an inherent issue here or do you think it's pretty hard look in the mirror time if you're 0 for 4 on playoff chances with this nucleus yeah, I think it, I think that kind of decision is going to be different for every team. Like Calgary, if they lose, are going to have some tough decisions. And they're a little older, so sure. 
I think they would still be forced into maybe exploring some tough summer choices. Toronto is younger. They've got guys under contract for a long time and they already went through a coaching change this year too. So I think with all this upheaval, you'd still want to bring the base of this team no. back for another run next season just to see what it does. You don't need to rush out. Like, oh, you lose three games in a row to Columbus. We got to go and trade Nylander or Marner or something crazy like that. Like that's That would be incredibly shocking. I think it's far more likely you bring the band back, try it one more time. I mean, Robertson is probably going to be a factor on this team next season. You're losing a couple of guys to free agency. I think ideally you try and bone up that blue line a little bit, but it's going to be hard against the cap. I just don't see a three-game sweep or any kind of loss to Columbus as as a sign that you need to substantially change this team. I think it's good enough that you can feel comfortable going forward in. And after next season, you're going to have a choice to make on Freddie Anderson anyway, and that could be franchise-defining. He's going to need a new contract, and with a flat cap, I mean, really, what kind of a raise can you give him given all the other contracts that you have? So that could be the decision that ultimately forces Toronto into longer-term choices here, but I don't think a loss to Columbus necessarily puts him into that kind of urgency. All right, who you got in the uh, Blue Jackets versus Buds? Well, this is the one that I'm picking a sweep in, and I went Toronto on it. Um, You know, I just think that these first couple of games are going to be, they're going to be intense like playoff hockey, but they're not going to be exactly like playoff hockey. You're coming back a little cold here. You're coming back like it's October and it's going to be really hard to go from zero to a hundred right away. Uh, But I, so I just think Toronto's skill is going to be too much in a five game series. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just roll over the blue jackets. All right, we're going out disagreeing. I am wow. going with the teeth gnashing Blue Jackets in five. I think John Tortorella will find a way to push those buttons. I mean, you mentioned it. They just make you fight for every inch, and, and that has been the knock on the list. So I do like your logic. You almost talked me into it there that you're right. It's easy to see a couple shots from the top of the circle goals being the difference in the first couple games, but uh, between Corpus Allo and Merz Lickens, I think one of them can come through with some good goaltending. So I'll give the edge to the jackets. So I had jackets, Panthers, Penguins, Canes. You had Penguins, Rangers, Panthers, Maple Leafs. Yeah. Sound about right? That's right. Yep. All right. All right. How confident does it sound right? (laughs) (laughs) How confident can you be? Picking teams you haven't seen play yeah. in four and a half months. If this is going to be the hardest playoff, I think, that we've ever had to pick because you just don't know. There, there's so much that we don't know, right? Well, I got good news. You're going to get uh, thrown into the fire and see a lot of these teams uh, immediately because the uh, the bonanza starts very soon on Saturday. Uh, the first games of the preliminary round, we've got exhibition games through Thursday, but um, the, the real postseason, I guess, if we can call it that, uh, will start on Saturday, and that will be awesome. Make sure you're checking out sportsnet.ca for all the cup coverage. Make sure you're following Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports. And check back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape. 